Thank you, praise team. Just what we needed. Just what we needed on this first Sabbath of a new year. You will always be holy forever. We needed that. We did. Oh, God, we sang it. We mean it. King of kings, holy one. Lord of lords, holy one. Eternal Father, holy one. Spirit of God, holy one. Manifest yourself right now in the moments we have left. When your holy scriptures are opened, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mission impossible. Maybe. Today, we are a missionary band. Come on, admit it. Did you sing that song when you were a kid in Sabbath school? In Croatian, in Serbian? We are a missionary band, a missionary band, a missionary band. We are a missionary band, doing all we can. I told the boomers in first service who sang it with great vigor. I'm not going to get much of a response in second. <laughs> I guess they don't sing in the Sabbath school anymore. You remember that, uh, that opening line, we are but a band of children, we are weak and we are small, but we want to work for Jesus and there's work enough for all. Of course, we always thought that when we sang about being a missionary band, that meant overseas. And of course, it obviously does include overseas. But the truth of the matter is to be a missionary is to be a person on mission. And if you're on mission, and I hope you are, then you are a missionary. And if, if there are enough of us to go around, we are a band, a missionary band. What kind of mission are you talking about, Dwight? Well, let me show you. I want to leave one line with you today. You take this line home, you brood over it as I have. See if it doesn't change your life. I'd like to submit to you, before you even see the line, that this line comprises your personal mission in this life. Now, I happen to have this line taped to the wall in front of me where I have worship in my little Bethel every, every morning of the week to remind me. I submit to you, it's your mission too. I want to take you to a passage you've probably been to before, the Gospel of Luke. If you'll open your Bible to Luke, it's not going to be on the screen. I have a few more months left, you and me together. And we're going to do more reading in the Word and less on the screen, all right? So the readings we do today will be in your lap. Some of you got a little bit uh, lazy and your Bible doesn't come with you to church anymore. It needs to come back. I need you to see it in the book that's with you all week long. Open, your, open the book, please, the Holy Scriptures to Luke chapter 1. Come on, we've been, the, been in the Advent season. We've been in Luke again and again and again. It's a wonderful book, but it opens up with a story 
And I want to see if you can find your one-line mission statement. See if it jumps out at you as it does at me. So this is Luke 1. I'm in the New International Version. Drop down to uh, verse 13. But the angel, we know the angel is Gabriel because he introduces himself. But the angel said to him, it's an old elderly priest named Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Most people, when they get up front and talk about this first, they say, well, you know what it is. They were praying for a child. Are you kidding? They have quit praying for a child for decades now. That's not their prayer. You know when it's up. You don't pray that prayer anymore. They're praying for the Messiah to come again. Again, as the prophets again and again kept saying he would. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife's going to have a boy, and you're going to call him John. Verse, verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Desire of Ages says every child born can be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. In verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you see your one-line personal mission statement in that passage we just read? Do you see it? What is it? Come on, call it out to me. What is it? What is it? What's in verse 17? Mm hmm. All right, and Joanne, what's the, what's the next line? Read it for us. Mm hmm. Put it on the screen. Thank you for that reading. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'm telling you, the reason I can be so unequivocal about this being your mission at this critical time in history is because of two clues that are embedded in this single line in the Greek. And I'm going to show those clues to you right now. This is not some dangling participle hanging off in the middle of nowhere in Greekdom. This is a line for you and me at this time. Watch this. To make ready. Let's talk about this word, ready. Clue number one, to make ready. The Greek word there is the same Greek word in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Those are red-letter words spoken by Jesus just before his crucifixion the next morning. All right, Thursday night. And what did Jesus say? I go to make ready a place for you, and if I go and make ready a place for you, I will what? I will come again. This one-line mission statement has the second coming written all over it. There are two clues. Let me give you another one. Clue number two, to make ready a people prepared. Let's take that participle, that adjectival participle. To make ready a people prepared. The same Greek word, by the way, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, where it reads, by faith Noah built or prepared. It's the identical word, built an ark for the Lord. Those two clues are a, are a signal to you and me. That this mission is especially applicable to those living at the end of human history. Let me put uh, Hebrews 
Bible Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter, verse 7 on the screen for you. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, I love that song, you alone are holy that we just sang, in holy fear, built, there's that word, prepared an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. On the eve of destruction, Noah prepares an ark for the saving of the doomed. Even so, on this planet's second destruction, on the eve of it, God has a missionary band preparing a people for the return of the Lord. It's the identical mission that that Noah had, that John the Baptist had. Only John the Baptist's mission was to prepare a people before the Messiah's first coming. Your mission and mine is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord before his second coming, same Messiah coming back to the same planet in desperate need. That's not that complicated, I hope, to you. You've got a bright mind. You see it immediately. But to grasp the gravity and significance of this one-line mission statement, we need to brood over the drama of Noah for a moment. I'm going to go to the uh, Genesis chapter 6, but I'm going to put the words on the screen for this reason. I'm going to use the translation, one-man translation of the Old Testament by a brilliant mind named Robert Alter, okay? So we're going to go to Genesis 6. Here's what I want, I, I need you to notice, notice, please. Note the heightening, the crescendoing moral collapse in the culture and society of that antediluvian, and that's just a technical word that means before the flood, culture, and generation. And I want you to, as you note that, I want you to ask yourself this question. Could it be that this is happening to my planet, my culture, at this time as well? You just ask that question. We'll go to, we'll go to altar now on the screen. I've underlined the words that highlight crescendoing, okay? Here we go. Robert Alter's rendition, Genesis 6, verse 5, and the Lord saw that the evil, oh, we get that, evil is, is a word whose source you just add a D to and you know who it's talking about, okay? And the Lord saw that the evil of the human creature was great. We're talking about great magnitude. And and the Lord saw that the evil of the human creature was great on the earth and that every... Hey, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it. How much of every is every? Huh? Uh, how, How much of all is all? It's everything. Every scheme of his heart's devising was only... What's only mean? Without exception. Perpetually. What's perpetually mean? Constantly evil. 24 7 That was Noah's day. Welcome to America today, 2023. We had Gary Kaiser, a well-known contractor in this community, come by our house this fall to do some excavating work on our septic system last fall. So let's say I'm standing out there when they're going down to this hole. I'm not going to tell you what's in the hole. You already know. So they're going down to this hole, and I'm watching them. And, and, and I'm so fascinated by this, I take out my, my very white handkerchief, and while I'm looking at it, I drop the handkerchief down into that guck, all right, 
Oh, no. And it's just like it's being sucked down. It's going down further and further. And I say, wait a minute. Stop, guys. I need to get it back. I got to have it. That's my favorite handkerchief. So I reach down and I finally pull it up. And it's, it's just dripping. So what do I do with this handkerchief now? Well, you know what you do. You just get it out. Put it back in, right? No, you don't do that. You take it to your wife and say, use extra bleach on this, please. Do you do that? No. It is saturated. When it's saturated with sewage, there's only one treatment it deserves. Destruction. You get it? Saturated. Saturated. Synonyms of saturated. Saturated. Read it again. And the Lord saw that the evil of the human creature was great on the earth and that every scheme of his heart's devising was only, without exception, perpetually, constantly evil. Now verse 6, and the Lord regretted having made the human on earth and was grieved to the heart. You have no idea that pain. What have we done? He asked himself. I listen to WBBM News Radio out of Chicago every morning of my life except Sabbath. And I want to tell you something. I am stunned. It comes out of Chicago. I am stunned. And by the way, I need to say this quickly. I'm not dissing Chicago because it would be the same where I listening to any other news radio station in America. In every city I go to, I, I find that news radio station. When I'm in L.A., it's KNX. When I'm in Washington, it's WTOP. When I'm in New York City, it's WCBS. It's not just Chicago. I am stunned how over the last few months and even this last year here in America, there has been a profound rise in acts of debased immorality and crimes of violence. The whole world right now is gawking over our collective American shoulders at this brutal and tragic slashing murders of four young Idaho University students while they're asleep. They got him. The end. It will not be the end. It will never be the end. Were we to sit here in the few moments you and I have and review evil's gross saturation, saturation in America today, saturation of the human mind, saturation of the human culture, saturation of the human society right now, we would, if we did that, we would only glorify the satanic source of our destruction. There's no point in glorifying him at all. He will pay for this one day. Take my word for it. He will pay one day. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will wipe out the human race I created from the face of the earth, for I regret, I regret I have made them. But Noah, but Noah found favor, the old King James, you remember, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. Was he perfect? Are you kidding? We all know the story that happens after the flood. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. I 
I mean, what else can you and I do? When your mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, what else are we supposed to do? You walk with God to the best of your ability. Nobody's a superhero in that. You just walk with God. You just stay at it. You, you obey God to the best of your ability. By faith, as we read, you trust in him to help you do what you can to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, to help others prepare for the end of all things. What else can you do? Patriarchs and Prophets offers this character sketch of Noah. Boy, I love this. But Noah stood like a rock amid the tempest, surrounded by popular contempt and ridicule. Hit the pause button right there. Did you catch that? What are those two words? Popular contempt and ridicule? Hey, wait a minute, boy. Did you think that if you were going to get applauded at an ovation for pointing out that something ain't right the way we're doing it around here. You think everybody's going to rise up and call you blessed? It's just the exact opposite. The, the modus operandi of the enemy of enemies is to use popular contempt and ridicule to shout you down, to shut you up so that you won't say another word and disturb our comfy status quo in this place. Noah stood like a rock amid the tempest. Surrounded by popular contempt and ridicule, he distinguished himself by his holy integrity and unwavering faithfulness. A power attended his words, for it was the voice of God to man through his servant. Connection with God made Noah strong in the strength of infinite power. Did Noah have any strength? Answer, no. He had no strength. Where did his strength come from? From the Almighty, from the infinite one. Connection with God made him strong in the strength of infinite power, while for 120 years, as Genesis 6 carefully details, his solemn voice fell upon the ears of that generation in regard to events which, so far as human wisdom could judge, were impossible. Let's go back to reading our Bible. Second Peter. That's in the New Testament, near the end. You get to Hebrews, just keep going, then you run into James, and then you got first and second Peter. Second Peter. I'm listening for the pages to turn, and when you're done turning, I'll read. All right, second Peter chapter three. We begin in verse three. I want you to read this. I want you to listen to what you're reading. Think what you're hearing. Second Peter three three, above all you must understand that in the last days, ooh, that must be now. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. This talk about the soon coming of Jesus, I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. You Adventists, just give it up. Don't you know you're wrong? He's not coming. Not soon. Not now. Not for me. But the scoffers, verse 5, deliberately forget. They do it on purpose. They have a conscience, and the conscience is always right. Whenever you're arguing with somebody, never forget the other man's conscience is always on your side. Always. Just remember that line. 
But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by by water. Verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Verse 7, by the same word of Almighty God, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. My Bible reads... Patriarchs and Prophets records a heartbreaking depiction of the collapse of the social and moral order of the human race just before the flood and ends that depiction with these words. I want you to see this. Love no less than justice. Love no less than justice demanded that God's judgment should put a check on sin. End quote. People who suggest, listen, listen. People who suggest that the love of God somehow negates any accountability with sin in their midst or in the world are whistling past the graveyard. Oh, no. The day of judgment is coming, ready or not. Ah, it's not true. God is love. He doesn't do stuff like this. Oh, really? It is the love of God, no less than His justice, that allows us to experience loss, experience inability to save ourselves from a hemorrhaging we cannot staunch. I want you to think about that. We've tried every trick in the book and it's getting worse. Think about that. Somebody's trying to get our attention. Before it is too late, not to punish us, come on, get off of that jag, not to punish us, but to rather out of love to desperately awaken us so that we might change course, change course, change course, change course. You're going the wrong way. So that we might like Noah collectively choose to walk with God blamelessly by His grace, in our obedience by His grace. I get it. It's all by grace, obedient to His commandments. Patriarchs and Prophets goes on. Another storm is coming. The earth will again be swept by the desolating wrath of God, and sin and sinners will be destroyed. The sins that called for vengeance upon the antediluvian world exist today. The fear of God is banished from the hearts of men and women, and His law is treated with indifference and contempt. The intense worldliness of that generation is equaled by that of the generation now living. Whoa. Now, it's... Seems to me that sounds exactly like something Jesus said. Uh, check this out, uh, Matthew 24. Come on, your Bible's still open. It's not going, going on the screen. Matthew 24. You got a device with you? Matthew 24. You'll get there faster than me. Matthew 24. Let's drop down to verse 38. Just two, two verses here. Red letters. This is Tuesday. Jesus will be dead by Friday. Matthew 24, 38, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. Hey, hey, 
Hey, is that a sin? Is it a sin to eat and drink? I did this morning. It can't be a sin. People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that a sin to get married? I've been, a, I've been sinning for coming on 49 years, the same girl. Of course, it's not a sin. What Jesus means is life's just going on. Nothing big is going to happen. We're safe and sound. Life goes on. Hmm. They're eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now here comes verse 39. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood, boom, came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Patriarchs and prophets didn't invent that. Jesus did. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Read it. God did not condemn the antediluvians for eating and drinking. He had given them the fruits of the earth in great abundance to supply their physical wants. Their sin consisted in taking these gifts without gratitude to the giver and debasing themselves by indulging appetite without restraint. It was lawful for them to marry. Come on. Marriage was in God's order. It was one of the first institutions which he established. God gave special directions, our Creator did, concerning the ordinance of marriage, clothing it with sanctity and beauty. But these directions were forgotten, and marriage was perverted and made to minister to passion. Wow. I feel like reading that again. Marriage was in God's order. It was one of the first institutions which he established. He gave special directions concerning this ordinance, clothing it with sanctity and beauty. But these directions were forgotten, and marriage was perverted and made to minister to passion. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Surely that means to stand unflinching for the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman in a culture and society that has debased marriage by discarding the Creator's protective walls, by tearing down the principles of purity and decreeing that sexual promiscuity is the legislated right of the entire human race. Is it any wonder that in sowing the wind, we are now reaping? How's it go? We are reaping the whirlwind of utter collapse of sexual morality today. This culture has produced the Kardashians who with brazen, brazen disregard manifest their sickness to the entire social media world. This culture produced them. Is it any wonder? No. But what is, what is a wonder is that we whose end-time mission to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, that we ourselves would become confused over sexual morality and immorality and end up approving the very antediluvian, anti-marriage practices that eventually destroyed ancient culture and society. 
We approve. Really? Really? Since the end of this past summer, our pastoral staff has been reading out loud together the book of Romans for our staff worships. We're in Romans 5 now. But when we came to Romans chapter 1, Paul, you know, who you remember, who launches this grand theme of the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto what? What's the word? Unto salvation. This magisterial opening to Romans chapter 1, when suddenly Paul pivots on his heel and he engages in a a post-mortem of the secular society of his day. As we read his listing of the sexual aberrations that society had declared, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Paul, Society had declared to be acceptable behavior. And by the way, I debated, should we read it? No. It's too, it's too graphic to even read in public. We came to Paul's summation at the end of his list. It's verse 32, and I will put that on the screen for you. Romans 1, 32, although they know God's righteous decree... Those who do such things in that litany that's just preceded this, those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of, the New Revised Standard renders that, but also applaud those who practice them. Applause, please. I fear for Christian universities. I fear for Adventist universities where the social pressure to conform to the surrounding culture is so strong that some faculty and students alike end up applauding and publicly defending the behavior heaven warns is sin. Heaven warns is death. Who then can be saved? Who can be saved? We cry out the words of the disciples. Jesus is quick with an answer. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If only we will turn to him while there is time. I'm going to end with a prayer recorded in Scripture. You're going to read it too. And when that prayer is through, we're going to kneel and pray. Let's read Daniel's prayer, one of, the, one of the great prayers of Holy Scripture. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Read that prayer in your own heart. Make it your own prayer in your own soul. Daniel chapter 9 begins in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Here goes the prayer. O Lord... The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, to our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Oh, Lord, you are righteous. 
But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, O Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like that has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open our eyes and see the destruction, the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Verse 19, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Amen. Let's kneel together. Because if it is our mission to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, then we better start with ourselves right now. I invite you to kneel, please. Oh, God, have mercy on us. We have sinned. We have tried so hard to be accepted by the world, to be like all the rest, that we have sinned against you by calling sin right and calling right 
wrong as you did with Jerusalem of old? Have you done to us? Have you withdrawn your hand of blessing so that today we languish instead of flourish? We are diminished rather than growing. Forgive us, holy God, for we have sinned against you. We have not obeyed your word nor heeded your prophets. We thought we were giving comfort to the disenfranchised when we have ended up giving license to rebellion against your holy law and your righteous kingdom. We have aided and abetted sinners when what they needed was moral accountability delivered by compassionate mentors and caregivers who will lead them to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would we seek to condone or excuse the very sin Jesus died to take away? Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemns you? No one, my Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your sin behind. For I am the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Oh, God, have mercy on us, please. And may the light from heaven's throne room shine on minds and hearts in this space right now to lead us to heaven's next steps, whatever you would have them to be. In the words of Daniel's prayer, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your church and your school and your people bear your name. That name that is above every name. The name of our beloved Redeemer and Savior, whose grace is sufficient for us, whose recreation brings the healing we seek. In the name of Jesus, let all the friends of Jesus say, Amen and Amen.